0: Hello and welcome to another episode of PTO Extra. My guest today is Grace Blakely. We spoke about the current state of the UK economy, whether the era of austerity is over, and why even in the face of a no-deal Brexit, the UK is unlikely to experience an attack of the bond market vigilantes. Grace is a staff writer at Tribune magazine, host of the A World to Win podcast, and author of Stolen, How to Save the World from Financialization. Her most recent book is The Corona Crash, How the Pandemic Will Change Capitalism. I began the interview by asking Grace about her excellent new podcast, A World to Win, which, like PTO, is part of Tribune Radio, and what her aims and hopes for the show were when she was conceiving of it.
1: Yeah, so my ambitions for the show were really about obviously kind of promoting political education, but also linking up different struggles in different parts of the world. I think that was really the thing, was to allow socialists in different parts of the world to learn from each other's successes and failures because i think particularly over the last couple of years on the left when there was like you know the corbyn moment and in the us the bernie moment there was a tendency to be kind of insular and to see the fate of socialism around the world as as kind of hinging on the success of those movements in particular countries whereas not only is that not the case so not only are there very strong and vibrant and interesting socialist movements taking place all around the world but actually i feel like there was a lot to learn from historical movements and also movements that are that exist currently in in different places that if those lessons had been learned better and if there was a more, greater understanding of the general challenges of trying to build a well kind of take over or create a new democratic socialist party which aims to gain some control over the state in order to shift power relations between labor and capital of which you know there are many common problems then things might have been slightly different. Right. So I think that's basically the aim. It was like, look, stuff's going on elsewhere. Don't lose hope for my audience in the UK. And just for like socialists everywhere, just to say, there are all these lessons, there's all this stuff that there are all these movements, these campaigns that are taking place every day. And yeah, we need to learn from each other and we need to support each other.
0: Well, of course, we're talking on the day of the election result in Bolivia, which is something to cheer if, if you're on the on the left. That inward turn that you describe, do you then see that as really a quite understandable response to the fact that we did for a time have these very large movements, which seemed within striking distance of, of gaining power? Or do you think part of it is is a general sort of parochialism and even perhaps a certain nationalist strand to, to parts of the Anglo-American left? I mean, that's certainly a position that I've seen put forward by Mike Davis, for instance.
1: I mean, I think there is a bit of that, but when you're thinking about the movement as like, okay, so in the kind of upper echelons of the movement in like parts of the labor movement in parts of the labor party, there is of course that strand and it's very, very strong. What I'm really thinking about here is just like activists on the ground, people who are getting involved in these movements and projects and campaigning and want to learn a little bit more about what that, that same activity would be like in different parts of the world. And for them, I think, you know, there was coming into this project and indeed I kind of see this a little bit in myself as well. The idea that there had been this massive financial crisis, that, you know, there were all these kind of big existential challenges that our generation was facing from, you know, climate breakdown to massive global inequality. And this moment, Corbynism, Sanders in the in the US seemed like this incredible burst of energy that like so many people wanted to get involved in. And I think most of them were just working things out as they went along. Indeed, I, I certainly think that for myself as well in like the early Stages of the movement. So, you know, if there was parochialism, which of course there was, I think it was predominantly to do with that, right? It was just people who were like, perhaps many people who would never have really even considered getting involved in politics to begin with, suddenly seeing this incredible burst of, of energy and outrage at the system and, and wanting to to get involved with that. And of course, you know, when that burst of energy takes place within the confines of the Labour Party then it is also going to be inflected with those longer standing strands of, of nationalism. And this, I suppose, what you call the kind of Keynesian or economic thinking that, you know, there was definitely a lot of in, in the Labour Party and the period after the Second World War, when indeed it was a more viable way of thinking about the world. So yeah, I think it's a combination of those two things. But mostly, you know, for the audience that I'm talking about, which is kind of activists, it is really just, it's not saying, it's not bashing them over the head and being like, oh, you know, you've done so much stuff wrong. Like you were too inward looking, you were doing this, you were doing that. It's just like, look, there's other stuff out there. You know, there's other things going on. This project, this struggle isn't over. There are still things you can do and that we can all do together.
0: And I suppose many of those activists will have been on the opposite journey previously. You know, I'm thinking about people who were very engaged in, in the pink tide struggles in, in Latin America and then shifted to a more UK-focused approach. You've had some, some fantastic guests on, on the show, Naomi Klein, Cornel West and, of course, Jeremy Corbyn in the first episode of the show. But regarding that desire to focus more globally and perhaps more on the, on the global south, is there any particular conversation that you felt was especially interesting and, and productive in those terms?
1: Oh, that's a difficult one. There have been so many and there are so many more to come as well. I think one episode that I thought was particularly interesting was with Guillaume Long. That was the second episode, who is obviously both an academic and someone with experience of, of government. So he was able to bring a variety of different perspectives on what had been going on in Ecuador and indeed around Latin America. Um, and actually, the, perhaps the most interesting part of the conversation for me was when we discussed the challenges posed by attempting to manage, basically, a kind of social democratic project as a kind of small, poor country in the context of an international system that is weighted heavily against your interests, both politically and economically. So, yeah, I think that was a really, really interesting conversation. Walden Bellow, again, the episode after that, he's just an incredibly fascinating man. He's had a, a, an amazing life. I really enjoyed him talking about how, in order to kind of expose the U.S. and international institutions' support for the the Marcos dictatorship. He broke in to the World Bank headquarters and he kind of recounted that story, which I thought was amazing. More recently, we had Rob Davis from South Africa, who's the former trade minister in South Africa. We've got coming up Raquel Rolnick, who is the former minister of cities under Lula in Brazil, and former UN special rapporteur on adequate housing. And that's going to be a really interesting conversation. And we've got loads more great guests lined up as well the thing that i really want to do actually and i've i I have had several guests lined up from this part of the world but unfortunately it hasn't happened yet is i'd really like to get a much more focus on sub-saharan africa and get more voices from from the african continent on the show so if anyone listening to this has any suggestions please do get in touch
0: So moving on to the pretty dire state of the UK economy as we move into the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. So on Friday, the Financial Times published an article by Chris Giles, their economics editor, declaring that last week was the moment that austerity was officially buried. Giles pointed to the comments of the head of the IMF and also Carmen Reinhart, chief economist at the World Bank, notoriously a very strong advocate of austerity measures in the wake of the financial crisis of 08-09. And this time around, Reinhardt recommends that countries should borrow heavily and and commented that first you worry about fighting the war, then you figure out how to pay for it. Do you think that this claim that austerity is over as a a governing agenda, in particular in the case of the UK, do you think that's premature or, or, or does that seem correct to you? If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode of PTO Extra, please consider becoming a £5 supporter on Patreon. As well as getting access to extended versions of regular PTO shows, you'll also get access to all future episodes of PTO Extra. Go to patreon.com forward slash poll theory other to sign up. Thanks for listening.